So I said, what is the long-term plan for me? And he's like, we'll put it in something else. And there was another chunk, which was in another debt fund. So the fear was that if that also goes into, like Franklin Templeton happened, there's a lot of money which is getting locked in the market. You don't know what's happening. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive these five free benefits. First, you get the risk reduction checklist I've created from the lessons I've learned from all of my guests. Second, you get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. Third, you get a 25% discount on all ASTOTS Academy courses. Fourth, you get access to our Facebook community to get to know guests and fellow listeners. And finally, you get my curated list of the top 10 podcast episodes. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest Manish Tiagi. Manish, are you ready to rock? Yeah, of course. Looking forward to it. Thank you. I am super excited to have you on. And I want to introduce you to the audience. Manish used to be a commander in the Indian Navy before he decided to become a stand-up comic sometime in 2014, and he goes by the name of the Naughty Commander. An officer and a gentleman, he has some very funny tales to tell from his life experience. His style is full of unprecedented stories blended with wit and humor. His Facebook page and YouTube channel have over a quarter million followers with multiple videos having over three million views. He has performed across multiple cities in India and overseas. And as a motivational speaker, he has also spoken at Josh Talks, 14 TEDx conclaves, and is also a regular with corporate assignments. Manish, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Thank you so very much. It's an honor to be on this podcast and speaking to you a little more than what you spoke. I'm otherwise an engineer by education and uh, you know qualification. And I was commissioned with the, so, you know, like a typical young guy who wants to serve the nation. I was commissioned way back in 1989 and served on till, you know, 2012. That makes it 23 years. Subsequent to quitting the armed forces, I was very inclined to, you know, become a corporate trainer. I thought I should share my life experiences with people from what I learned in my life and in the armed forces. And that's what started out to be my career in 2012. I was also in business at India for the channel partners of Cummins, which is a US-based firm mm. for the marine segment. Worked with them for three years as a consultant in business at India. Corporate training, career transition coach, and subsequently 2014 stand-up comedy, the bug hit me. And then eventually, you know, it was just one thing after the other. That's kept me busy till the pandemic started, yes. But we've been mm. doing a lot of online shows, so yeah, it's okay. You know, when uh, when the average person looks at a comedian, they see kind of that moment that they deliver a funny line or a funny joke. They don't realize how much work goes into getting to that point. I mean, how do you tell us just a little bit about how you prepare for a show or how you prepare new material, that type of thing? So each comedian has his own style, all right? So for me... A, being a corporate trainer, getting on stage, holding a mic and interacting with people was not at all. There was no stage fear. There was no, no problem at all. 
the only thing was creating you know the material because i'm 54 and in india stand up comedy unlike the us is a very very recent and a nascent industry like you could say like 6 7 10 years and to connect with the youth because it's a majorly a youth driven industry all right so to connect with the audience out there who are like half your age and some of them look up to you and say oh my dad like saying this stuff like you know not happening so to connect with them so my style is more observational when i see people around me and that's when people ask us this question as to where do you get your content from and i'm like from you <laughs> that's where you get it from you observe people and uh, plus i focus a lot on the latest news which is happening so probably a blend of both and that's what goes on stage yeah there's a lot of things that'll make you laugh and cry in the news when you look at it <laughs> absolutely yes <laughs> So it's a question of finding humor from whatever is probably making you cry also like you know like somebody asked me the other day he said what keeps you focused i said pain yeah that's a good way to pain yeah that's a good way to stay focused you know like it's very real i mean that i often think to myself that you know every time i've made a major valuable you know change in my life it's been motivated by pain or fear you know and exactly. i i know that you know fear is not the way we raise our kids for instance you know constantly putting them in fear we want them to experience the joy of of life but sometimes that little fire burning under my butt is going ow i got to go cuz this isn't working anymore and next thing you know you know you're on to your your next thing so yeah it's definitely a pain <laughs> there is a lot of pain opportunities get created you know because you want to get over one phase of your life or probably you know get over something and then move into a different it could be in any form. Yeah, and I guess that when you think about the therapeutic benefits of comedy, it's like if you can get people to laugh at their pain. Yes. I mean, I'm I just feel choked up right now, literally as I say that, thinking about you know, pain, you know, when we feel pain and when someone can help us relieve that pain, that's valuable. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the thing that keeps me also going because when somebody writes to me or you know in a personal mail and says that look i was depressed and i was very down and then i saw your videos and i binge watched them overnight and then i realized that you know there's so much more to life i think that's where i think it works for me mm. that's my mm. motivation that keeps me going definitely yeah i mean i do some corporate training and you know i try to talk about what i learned from a master dr deming and he uh, he taught me when I was about 23 years old and I he was you know the master of quality and just an amazing yes. guy but he was so tough on senior management and he was just trying you know basically showing them that they didn't they didn't really know what they were doing in many cases and you know he would just raise up these points of you know you know the competitions outside your company but what you're doing is you're incentivizing people inside of your company to fight with each other over a bonus over a performance appraisal Absolutely. And you're setting up these teams that are fighting, you know, people don't get along with each other already. And now you're putting fuel to that fire. So yes. when I walk into a room and I bring that out in the open, most people never even think about it. So there's a relief there just talking about that. And when we're trained from the, let's say, US MBA is like, you know, good, healthy competition. But wait a minute, we're not talking about competition within the company. We're talking about competition against our competitor. And I think one of the things I've learned in Thailand, and I think it's the same in India, is that, you know, the way people treat each other is very different than the U.S. style. You know, it's, it's a little bit more, less confrontational and on all of that. And I, I just feel kind of sad when I see whether it's Indian, Asian, Chinese, Thai. 
I see my friends who are implementing these KPI systems and driving people and thinking that, you know, having a, a screens on your, on your desk at your yeah. office is the way that you manage people, but people aren't robots. And so when you bring this out, now I don't bring it out through humor. I bring it out by just saying, here's where it is. Here's what's going on. When I bring that out, basically people, you know, they respond. Okay. So anyways, are you ready for the question? Yes, sir. All right. Now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to then tell us your story. Okay. So we go back again, once again, to 2012 when I was quitting the Navy, all right? And that's a time when you quit, you get some money, and uh, which is your retirement benefits. And uh, I was also, for me, at that point in time, I was going through a very messy divorce. All right. So... So the first thing which which I had to do was, you know, like in India, what happens is when you've been serving in the government, you get a government accommodation. So I had to secure myself a place for myself and then, you know, the litigation and everything else that was going on. At that point in time in India, the real estate market was doing exceptionally well. And, you know, you've seen that you must have followed that mm. it was multiplying at a very quick pace. So, so as you discuss with some people and you trust some people, I put my, parked my money in some of the real estate you know, in terms of accommodation, buying a house or an apartment or something stupid as an assured return check, which <laughs> always bounces. But then that's what happens when you are going through your own turmoil in life and you tend to trust somebody else and you know you, you hope that this person is not going to cheat you or mm. mislead you rather. Yeah. So when the time came to pay the alimony, the real estate had gone down 25%. So all the money which was there had, so anyway, you had to sell property, the short return checks had bounced. And so whatever money came out, there was another friend of mine who said, okay, I have this guy who was a great guy who invests in mutual funds, all right? So why don't you put money with him? I'm like, okay, so that's the fastest way to recover whatever I have lost in the process of that downturn in the real estate. So I put money there and we were doing all right. There was a substantial amount over there till the pandemic hit. And March 2020, you know how Indian Sensex started yep. sinking. I was all right till then, till one day I read in the morning that Franken Templeton had frozen six of their funds, which were the debt funds in India. And they mm. locked out about 28,000 Indian crore, you know, rupees in India. And I had a substantial amount there. So I spoke to my agent and said, what the hell is happening? He said, no, 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 a month or two and it'll come back. And what we're going to do is we reach, we, you know, reshuffle your entire portfolio. I said, if you're going to reshuffle my portfolio, which is taking money out of a particular mutual fund and putting it in another one, means you are, there's a redemption happening. So I said, what is the long-term plan for me? And he's like, we'll put it in something else. And there was another chunk, which was in another debt fund. So the fear was that if that also goes into, like Franklin Templeton happened, there's a lot of money which is getting locked in the market. You don't know what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I said, if we are redeeming the mutual funds, I want the money in my bank. So I lost money in that redemption. Franklin Templeton was anyway locked. I lost about whatever, 10, 15%. I said, okay, now I can see my money in my bank and I put it in a very basic 3%, 3.5% fixed deposit. And I said, I want to see my money not grow. I want it, I just want to see my money, all right? That came from a lot of insecurity from the mm. past and whatever happened there was some money lying cash and there were friends who said buy gold 
next year's going to go up 20%. I'm like, okay, let's buy gold. There was much money, but whatever, you know, some because international travel had stopped. So there was a yeah. dollars lying in all. I said, okay, let's just buy gold. Bought gold. And then somebody said, okay, diversify your portfolio. So gold bonds. That's okay. Some money in gold bonds. Now, you know how the Indian market is performing now. It is at the peak. It's like at close to 53,000. Mm. And we withdrew the money at whatever. I don't know. I don't even, I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> Had I left the money there, it would have doubled. Unfortunately, gold came down 30% from the time I bought. The month I bought gold bonds, the next month they were selling 15% cheaper. And I'm like, look, I think I'm jinxed with money, okay? <laughs> so there was a point where I put these jokes on my line and I shared them also. I said, I thought about Bitcoin and next day it was 25% down. You know, and I and I thought about like Adani in India, they lost 16, I think 16 billion dollars in four days. I said, so people have been writing to me, sir, please tell us where you're investing because you know, <laughs> we won't go there. We want to get out of that. Yeah, we would just, you know, wait for 15 days till it goes down and then we're going to you know, invest because you think and it goes down. It's been like this. So now currently the situation is the money is there, whatever is it in the bank. It's not mm. growing. It should have it could have multiplied over the years the way a lot of people have made money, I know. And they come and say, oh, I, you know, tripled my net worth. And I'm like, please, we already, you know, going into a major depression with the money thing. I don't even want to look at that. So I think that's what happened. And if I would have stayed invested at that point in last year, and if Frank and Dimpleton, so when I spoke to this guy also, I said, he said, no, Frank and Dimpleton, we were feeling that there were some problems. I said, why didn't you pipe it up to me? Why didn't you tell right. me you're taking money from me? You know me for a couple of years. You should have just said, so Frank and Hamilton, there's some problem. Let's pull out the money. We just put it out and left the rest of it there or whatever, you know, redeemed and mm. put it into something. And I would have done that. So I just lost complete trust on that guy at that point in time. Mm. And uh, everybody else from real estate also. So this is where we stand. And I think this is probably, apart from other mistakes, like, you know, I won't say marriage is a mistake, but it's okay. Apart from the other mistakes which you make in life, this was probably one phase where I could have, you know, got back whatever I had lost over the years. But, yeah. Yeah. And how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from this? A lot of things. One is that don't blindly trust anybody with your money. You need to follow up. You need to keep reading up about wherever mm-hmm. your money is in terms of investments online, whether even if it's something like, so you know how it is. They say debt funds are the safest funds. And then suddenly this guy told me, no, debt has two components. One is the liquid and the, I'm dude, if I'm going to get 6%, I would have put that money in the bank itself. So I didn't read up. It was my fault. Mm. I take it that way. That So wherever you put your money, I think it's important to nurture it and keep reading about that particular fund house where you put the money or the stocks or whatever it is on a very regular basis and seeing, trying to figure out if there are some A, Second, don't put all your eggs in the same basket. Yeah. As in, don't go to one agent or one consultant. Maybe there's, there's no harm. You know, there are many consultants out there. Even if somebody's got like, like my guy had 20 years of experience, but look at where I am. And I'm sure there are enough people who have made yeah. money through him. But I'm the guy who at that point in time, like, you know, lost trust. And I said, I just want my money in my bank. So maybe you could have two consultants and take a second opinion. Mm-hmm. I did for gold for somebody and it sank. But it's yeah. okay. Get a second opinion. So that's, I think, two major takeaways, which I feel I could have, you know. Yeah. So let me, maybe I'll summarize some of the things I take away from this story. 
I think the the first one is that I was just talking. I'll tell you a story today. I was just talking with one of my clients, and they have a uh, they have funds that they offer, and their competitors use a very complex measure of risk. It's called value at risk, VAR. And basically, as my as being an advisor to the institution about how they present their and how they do their investing, they said, "Look, we have to present value at risk." And I said, "Why?" He said, "Because our competitors present it." I said, "But nobody understands value at risk." And they're like, "Yeah, we know that, but they present it, so we have to do it." And I said, "No, you don't have to do it." I said, "A more simple measure is maximum drawdown, where we just say." Look, over the last 20 years, this strategy, you could expect the worst case happened was 50% down. And they say, but we don't want to show 50% down or else they're going to think we're crazy. I'm saying, no, that's what the market went down. Yep. And I said, you're doing them a service by clearly communicating, forget all the fancy jargon of value at risk and just focus on something, you know, and, and if you can convince someone that, hey, this is the truth. In the 2008 crisis, the market fell by 50%. Your portfolio would have fallen by 50%. And once, once someone is, understands that, then they also can decide, okay, now the key to success in the long term in the stock market is to just, just wait through it. Imagine if you were out at sea and you couldn't see you know, anything about what happened. And then five years later, you come back. What, what's happening? Well, okay, if you went into really bad investment in the stock market or a particular fund or a company or whatever, it can go bust, but generally, you know, you're going to be better off. So that's the first thing is to understand when you go into the stock market, particularly the equity market, you know, there's a lot of volatility and the worst thing you can do, there's a, a report that I've followed for a while and it basically tries to measure. It looks at the average. Now, another way of handling this is to say own an index fund that owns you know, every stock in the market. Say, I'm not going to try to pick anything. I'm just going to own the market. Yep. The fees are much lower on that. But this research that, I was, that comes out almost every year from this particular company out of the US, they basically calculate, okay, it's one thing to say, hey, this fund in the last 10 years went up on average 10%. But you can actually calculate the amount of assets that go in and out of that fund because that's what people are buying and selling. And from that, you can actually calculate kind of the in cost and the exit cost on average that people, and what they calculate is that the bad timing of the average person destroyed about 70% of the return. You would have thought you would have gotten 10, but because you're going to go in and out at the wrong times, yep. you're only going to get 3%. That now, if you tell someone that, you know, they don't believe that, but that's the truth. Yeah. So that's the second thing is that our emotions are really against us when it comes to the stock market. Absolutely. And then the third thing, I mean, I, I have, a, I'll tell you another story is that I have, a, my sister passed away in 1998 and she left three beautiful daughters that were very young at the time. When they got older, I thought, how can I contribute as an uncle? Well, I'm an expert in finance. So why don't I help them get started investing? I got on the plane when the first one graduated high school from Thailand to go to her high school graduation. And I brought $3,000 in my pocket and her uncle Andrew basically slapped down $3,000 in cash on the table and said, this is your graduation gift, but you can't spend it. We're going to open up an account, you know, in America, an investment account, and I'm going to have you invested in this strategy. Very simple strategy Own one fund. That fund owns every stock in the world, about 9,000 stocks. 
and just keep buying it until you're 50 or 60 and you're going to be a multimillionaire. And I taught all of my nieces. I have five nieces, all of them. Basically, I did the same when they turned 18. And, and then I wrote a book and then I wrote a course about it. And that's what I try to teach is, you know, you don't even need an advisor when you have such a fund that owns everything. Now, I don't know about India. I haven't had many students in my course from India. I've had them from many other countries around the world. But when students come in the course, I help them to try to say, well, is it this one in India or is it that one? Yeah. But the point is, is that there are now instruments where an amateur who knows nothing and really doesn't want to learn, you know, spend all their time doing the market, there are alternatives. So those are the things that I take away from your, your story. Anything that you would add to that? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much summed it up. So yeah, and you need a very, you need an uncle like you. So yeah. There you go. So uncle for hire. So based upon uh, what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, you know, I want you to go back to the moment in time that you kind of started all this, this story, you know, and what, think about the man or woman out there that's really at that point in time right now, what one action would you recommend that they take to avoid suffering the same fate? Yeah. So one, of course, like I said, was, um, would be read up a little bit about it. Just don't be blind, uh, blind investor. Read a little about it. Speak to a couple of people, and you know, keep checking on your investments from time to time and see how the market is doing. Hmm. Yep. Last question: What is your number one goal for the next twelve months? I think I, I'm, I'm like you know, I'm just trying to get the peace of mind, you know, everything pieces together. And I would like to consolidate at this point in time, because irrespective of where the market is going in India, it, it is going to come down at some point in time, because it's, it's you know, the economy is not doing as well as the Sensex is doing. Maybe it's because of the FDI. Mm-hmm. I may be wrong there, but this is what I take away from what I read. So at some point, it's going to come down. Just sit on your funds at this point in time, consolidate and wait for the opportunity where you could go back and re-enter the market with you know, and then plan it long term so that, you know, next five years you have a little, just leave it there, mm-hmm. let it grow, something yep. like that. Got it. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listeners, reduce risk and increase tr- return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com and I look forward to seeing you there. As we conclude, Manish, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? At this point in time, stay safe, stay alive. I think that's, <laughs> that's my message. That is a good message. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.